Thank you, Dean. I appreciate that very much. It's so good to be with you. Finally, I was supposed to be here in July, and I uh, had to call Dane on uh, Saturday night about 8 o'clock. I was in the emergency room and said, I want to come, but my family won't let me go. They think I better just do what I need to do, and uh, he, he ended up pitch hitting for me. So I'm glad to just be the Joe Grana who is late rather than the late Joe Grana. That'll be okay when that time comes. I'll go be with the Lord. But for a while, I'd like to be here to, to serve him and be with my family. So uh, thank you for those of you who prayed at that time. We appreciated that very much. Also, a little side note to you. Alan Schwartz, who is a part of this church, found out two weeks ago our, our niece, who lives in Indiana, is in an online support group with him that deals with pain management, which, of course, he, he deals with. And uh, it was just kind of interesting. So he knew all about Pastor Dane and the book that he wrote, she, she did. And it was just, Alan was bragging to her about, about, uh, uh, about the church here and about Dane. And, and we we're just really happy that she's connected to our family. So it's really, really interesting how it's a small, small world, particularly in this uh, Internet type of society. Well, I'm glad to be able to share with you today, and I hope that it can be an encouragement to you. You may have remembered, in fact, I always thought that this story was true about Winston Churchill. Perhaps you had heard that at a graduation, he got up and he said, never, 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 never give up, and sat down, and that was his whole speech. Well, that's only partially true. Uh, he, he didn't speak at a graduation. He spoke at a boarding school that he had actually gone to as a, a young person. And he went to the chapel service. And he had a short message, shorter than mine, actually. It was only about five minutes. So I don't know how he did that. And it, he didn't say never give up, but he said it never give in. And it wasn't at the end of his message. It was about two-thirds of the way through. And here's what he had to say. Never give in, never give in, never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. That is a message that I want to give you today, a message that you never give in when it comes to your faith in Christ and your commitment to the church. We have found through the years Many, many people have been giving up their faith and giving up their relationship to the church. In the last 25 years, in the United States, 40 million people have quit attending church. And it's a tragic thing. Now, there are reasons for that, uh, reasons that some people have been hurt, either by the church or by pastors, or they just started having a struggle with their faith. And I found something very interesting that I found out that, you know, there's a movement of atheists in, in Europe and in the United States. There's a, a large group of this in, in Los Angeles who, who get together on, on Sundays. They have a gathering, they call it, which is really what the church, the word church means is a gathering. And uh, they get together and somebody gives an inspirational speech. Maybe it's something poetic. Maybe it's scientific or something of interest at the time. They uh, sing some songs, often somebody with a guitar, playing the guitar and singing. They have coffee and donuts and fellowship. And what I found interesting about that, what struck me as I was seeing these videos about it, you can get on YouTube and, and see some of this, that here are atheists who like the church, but they don't like God. They don't believe in him. 
And I found many people that are Christians who like Jesus and they like God, but they don't like the church. But I want you to know that Christ and the church go together. It says that Christ is the head and the church is the body, right? Now, I found out something through my life that heads and bodies are nice when they go together. You know, this, this isn't the greatest head in the world. This isn't the greatest body in the world, but it's nice that they're connected, right? I mean, if this head was over here talking to you and this body was over here without a head moving around, you would kind of say, whoa, what have we got going on here? Heads and bodies go together. And Martin Luther put it this way. He who seeks Christ will find the church. Because when you find the head, you're also going to find the body. But people are defecting. And maybe you have, or maybe you're tempted to, maybe because of frustration, maybe because of faith issues. And what I want to encourage you today is to never, never give in, never give up when it comes to Christ and the church. And to do that today, I want us to look at the book of Hebrews. And I've chosen Hebrews because that's its message. The message of Hebrews is dealing with diffusing defection. It was written to Hebrew people, the Jewish people, who became Christians, but they were going back to their old life again. And the writer of Hebrews said, don't do that, because Christ in the church is better, 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 better. And so today you might be tempted to go back to your old life, whatever that old life might be, or go go back to a life that is not connected to Christ or the church. And my encouragement to you is not to do that, that Christ and the church are, are better, 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 better. I just want to throw this in before we look at our text. I taught the book of Hebrews at Hope International University one January. It was in an intensive class, two weeks long, four hours a day for two weeks. At the end of the class, Two of my students came up and gave me a coffee mug. And on the coffee mug, it said, God loves coffee. And on the other side, it says, he brews it. Oh, I thought that was kind of cute, a little, little play on words there. So this has got nothing to do with coffee. But if you're a coffee lover, you can know that God brews it. And so it, it, you can enjoy that. But today I want us to look at these just two verses from Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and it's going to give us some helps to diffuse defection, defection from Christ in the church. Let's see what he has to say, the writer of Hebrews does. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. From my perspective, I see three helps to diffuse defection. The first help is that we are to spur one another on. I use the word provoke because it comes from the old King James Version. And I like that word provoke. The word spur is also a good word. It's kind of idea when you have spurs. Uh, a cowboy would have spurs and they put you know, they kick the horse to get it to go. That's what this word means. It means to irritate, to exasperate, to uh, excite. And it's provoking. He says, I want you to provoke one another. Now, I've been in ministry for 55 years. I've been involved in a lot of different churches. And you know what I found out? That in the church, we're pretty good at provoking one another. <laughs> Back in the day, back in the 20th century, in the 1900s, 
I had heard about a church that split because the pastor wanted to have indoor plumbing in the church building. And people were against that. So you had the in-house people and the outhouse people. <laughs> and they split over that issue. Back in the day, maybe some of you remember where churches used to have choirs and they would have choir robes. There was a church that split over the color of the choir robes. Another one would split over the color of the carpet. We don't have to worry about that because we don't have carpet here. So nobody's going to argue. Maybe you're going to argue we do want carpet. I don't know. But, but, but the church would split over the color of the carpet. In our present day, we've had these kinds of provoking about mask and no mask, about Republican or Democrat. And friends, we might have opinions about those things and they may seem important to us, but don't let those become more important than Christ in the church. Amen. That's happened so often within the church where the issues that we think about and we're committed to, maybe that are out in the rest of life, come into the church and we, we argue about that and we provoke one another. But the, the church is bigger than being a Republican or a Democrat. The church is even bigger than being a part of the United States. I love the United States. I've traveled a lot, and I'm always glad to come home. But, friends, the church is bigger than that. It's bigger than any country. Do you know that there are 120 to 150 million Christians in China? China, from a political perspective, is our enemy, right? It's our rival. But those 120 to 150 million people are not our enemies. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ in every country in the world. And so we have to be, we need to be careful, I think, about our perspective and not be divided, not to provoke one another in those ways, but rather to be united with each other. Now, the writer of Hebrews does something very interesting. In fact, he uses this word to provoke, to irritate, and we have biblical example of it. It's in Acts, the 15th chapter. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready for their second missionary journey. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us, who happened to be his cousin, actually, or maybe his nephew. We're not really sure, but I think it's cousin. And uh, Paul says, no, we're not going to take him. He was on our first missionary journey, and he wimped out. He's irresponsible. He's immature. And our work is too important. We're not going to do that. And they became provoked at one another. They became exasperated. They became irritated so to such a degree that Paul and Barnabas split company and Paul took Silas on his missionary journey, and Barnabas took John Mark. But that kind of division, and that kind of word, is interesting what the writer of Hebrews does with it. It's a negative word, but he gives it a positive twist. He says, I want you to provoke one another in the church, but I want you to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. And then an interesting thing, let's irritate one another with the love that we have with one another. Dane, I love you, man. I love you more. You can't love me more. I love you most. I love you more. You love me more than most? You can't? Most more. More and most. Just come up here and tell me that. What do you mean that you love me more than I love you? Well, I'm taller than you. I love you more. Yeah? 
Oh, yeah? No, I love you more than that. No, I love you infinity more. Well, you, you can't do that because I love you. You've been here at this church. You've been faithful for years. You've worked your way even through COVID and all those sorts of things. You write great books and try to get the word out in different ways. I, I love you, man. I love you and respect you so much. Proud of you. As being I still my think student. I love you more, but... All right, thanks. It's kind of crazy to think that we'd argue about loving one another more, wouldn't it? But wouldn't that be great? Rather than arguing about how we disagree and we view things differently and we get irritated with one another because of maybe some of our habits or whatever it is, but to be irritated by loving and building one another up. Who doesn't want to be loved in that way? Who doesn't want to be provoked in that way? And when you, when you have that, it's going to diffuse affection from Christ and church. And that's what the churches ought to be. It says, behold how they loved one another. That's what the early church was known for. He also tells us to provoke one another to good deeds. That is, we see the good deeds of one another. That we say, well, you know, maybe that can be an inspiration to me. Maybe I need to be doing a little bit more. Maybe I need to do this. And I mean, you can't do everything, Right. But there would be something that could be spurred within you where you have a passion that you could do that. And somebody else might bring that passion out of you because you see them doing it. Or maybe you bring that passion to somebody else because they see you doing it. Not doing it to be seen. It's a matter of helping one another to be what we ought to be in Christ. To use the giftedness that God has given us. So let's provoke one another. Let's spur one another on to love and to good deeds. And when we do that and when we love Jesus, we are going to diffuse affection in our lives and the lives of other people. Secondly, we look at this passage and he says, let's meet with one another. He, he says it in a negative way. He says, do not neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so I'm just going to turn around, and make it simple and say, therefore, we ought to meet with one another. That's part of the purpose of coming together on Sundays and worship services, that we might meet with one another. Because how can you provoke people to love and good deeds if you never see them? And so we need to be with one another, maybe even in a small group or Bible study or some other ministry as well, not just on Sunday, but through the week. Now, I want you to think about something in this regard. It says in Luke 4 that Jesus' custom was to be in public worship. It was his custom to be in the synagogue. If anybody didn't need to go to church, I think it might be Jesus, you think? He's got a pretty good relationship with God. Knows the scripture pretty well. Got his, his life together, kind of lives a good life. Being a little sarcastic there, he lives a perfect life, right? Okay. What's he going to get out of coming to public worship with a bunch of folks like us? Well, there's a synergy when you're together with other people. Certainly when you pray to yourself or you're saying or whatever and you're by yourself, there's value in that and that's something we should do, I think, during the week. But to be together, there's, there's, a, there's an added dimension or there's an added expression and unity about the Holy Spirit and that we can, through that, be inspired. And I think that would have happened with Jesus as well. It gave him an opportunity to speak in the lives of other people and for other people to speak into his life as well as we have those kinds of relationships, as we fellowship together in the Lord. 
And so I encourage you to do that. We look at the early church. It says in Acts 2 that daily they got together and met with one another. Now, I know the culture is a little different than ours, but we need to have someone who's part of the body of Christ that we have a connectedness throughout the week that we live life with, where we can provoke one another love and good deeds, that we can be there at times of need, that we can share our problems and our issues with, because that's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. It's a family. And as a family, we need to gather together. And so my encouragement to you is that you would meet regularly. I'm a teaching pastor at Refinery Christian Church. That's the name of the church, Refinery. Refinery Christian Church in Goodyear, Arizona as well. I live here in California, but I travel to Arizona regularly. I preach here about 10 times a year. I teach a couple of classes. And uh, the leadership of the church there has made a determination about the church attendance of the members of our congregation. I don't know if it's true here, but I think it's true basically nationally from what, from what the, their study has been, is that the average attender in church that who's regularly goes to church, regular means they go 1.5 Sundays a month. Now, it's kind of hard to go 1.5 Sundays a month. So in two months period of time, out of the eight Sundays that most two months have, some have five Sundays, so it'll be nine, but you know, just make it easy math. That, that means that you go to church three times out of eight in a two-month period of time. That's what the average church member does. Now, I encourage you to, if that describes you, that you at least get it to four. (laughs) I just encourage you to make it twice a month. We understand that people won't be here every week. People get sick. You go on trips. You have responsibilities. You do some other activities once in a while. We understand that as leaders of the church. But we encourage you that the more you can be with one another, that we can worship God, we can encourage one another, we can be build one another up, that it's just going to help diffuse our defection and it's going to help diffuse the defection in other people as well. But not only are we to meet with regularity, we need to meet with a purpose in mind. That we realize that my faith is bigger than mine. We're so individualistic in our society, and particularly on the West Coast. I mean, people that moved to the West Coast back in the 1800s, they had to be individual. They had to be people that were just going to go and do whatever. And that mentality, even though we're 150 years beyond that, still is true in our part of our, the country. And so we can have a tendency to look at our faith as being my faith and nothing else. But it, it, it's not just my, it's personal, but it's not private. You see what I'm saying? that there's something to be shared and that we, we need to allow ourselves to see that there's something bigger than just me. And so I, I read something once of years ago of a, a man who went through a construct, construction stri- site, excuse me, and he, the people were stonemasons were cutting stones to build a building. And so he came up to the first man and he said, sir, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm earning a living. He came up to the second man. He said, sir, what are you doing? He said, I am becoming the best stonemason in the area. He came to a third man there. He said, sir, what are you doing? He said, I am cutting a stone to build a cathedral to the glory of God. They were all at the same construction site, but each one had a different purpose in mind. One was there to get just get his living. And some of us come to church to kind of clock in and clock out. I did my spiritual thing. I went to church. I feel good about that. And I go on and live the rest of my week until I come back again that 1.5 times. I'm not knocking, folks, if you do that. I'm just trying to encourage you to, to, to up that. Others 
come to become the best Christian I possibly can be. I want to go to church because I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be the best Christian I can be. And that's a, that's a worthy goal. But I would like to have you consider this, is that we not just come for ourselves, but we've come to build a church to the glory of God that is bigger than we are. And that when we do something that's bigger in us, we have a commitment to it. It's going to help diffuse defection. It's going to also help bring that into reality as God builds his church through his people. Thirdly, as we look at this passage, he says, let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't know about you, but but I need some encouragement once in a while. Don't you? Sometimes I kind of doubt myself. It's nice to be encouraged. Sometimes I doubt God. It helps to be encouraged in that. Sometimes I get depressed. Life is hard. It's not easy. Sometimes you feel alone even when you have people and family around you. It helps to be encouragement. And I found out that whenever I'm down, God does something, even very small at times, that, that builds me up. It just might be an email. It might be a text. It might be a hug. It might just be a word of encouragement. It might be some money that ends up being in the mail that I wasn't expecting. All kinds of different ways that God is encouraging. And he can use you and I to be an encouragement to other people. Let us encourage one another. Because we need that so desperately in the world in which we live in. There's so much negativity. There is so much division. There are so many scary things that are happening. My wife and I uh, were with a group in Israel in March. And we're about 30 miles away from where the things are going on now. And know a lot of people up in the northern part of Israel who are pastors up there. And there's been concern, of course, of from Lebanon of Hezbollah coming in. But if they start sending rockets, the people we know would be within range of those rockets. So they, they need encouragement at this time. They need our prayers, but not only prayers for Israel, and I pray for the peace in Israel and Jerusalem, but I also pray for peace in Palestine as well, because those folks need Jesus. That's the, the issue. If, if they knew Jesus, the whole situation would change, wouldn't it? Jesus is the answer. It's not political. It's not military. Jesus is the way when people's lives change, then their lives change. They live differently. And their eternal address has been changed because Christ has come into the life. Let's encourage one another. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans 8. And in the beginning, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? God works all things together for good for those who love him. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. That chapter is full of all kinds of encouraging statements. And we need to encourage one another. We need to be reminded of that encouragement and then to become encouragers of others. One of my favorite characters in the book of Acts is is Barnabas that I mentioned earlier. One of the reasons is his name is actually Joseph. He's Joseph the Levite from Cyprus. And uh, he got a nickname by the apostles. Son of encouragement, Barnabas. Why? Because every time he's mentioned in the book of Acts, he's encouraging somebody. He encourages John Mark that I mentioned before, who became the writer of the gospel of Mark. He was an encourager to Saul 
when people said his conversion isn't real, he's becoming a Christian so he can persecute us from within. But it was Barnabas who stood by his side because that's what encouragement means, to stand by the side of someone. He encouraged an integrated church in Antioch, the first integrated church that brought ethnics together. And he helped them so that they would be united in Christ. He was an encourager over and over and over again. Friends, we need more encouragers within the church. And that's something you and I can do if we are just intentional about it. If we'll just take the opportunity to be able to build somebody up, to stand by their side. Job's friends did a great thing when they went to be with Job and for a week they sat there and and said nothing. Their mistake was when they opened their mouths. Sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut and simply to be there, just to be with someone in their time of need. My friends, that's what encouragement is. Certainly sometimes it's vocal. Sometimes it's sitting in silence. Sometimes it's doing some good deed. You have to kind of make a judgment call on some of that. But let's encourage And he says, let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. The day approaching, he's talking about is the coming of Jesus. And there's all kinds of views about the coming of Jesus. You know, you have these fancy theological terms, right? Premillennial, postmillennial, onmillennial. That's dealing with the rule of Christ and the the thousand-year rule. I got an opinion on that, but here's my bottom line. I am pro-millennial. I'm for the rule of Christ. I'm pan-millennial. I think it's all going to pan out one way or another. And so I don't know when it's going to be. I'm kind of like the young preacher, not the young preacher, but I'm like the young preacher in Kentucky. They're having a revival meeting at their church. And so he was going around to different people's homes, inviting them to the revival. And he comes up to this old man's house and he says, "Uh, sir, he said, are you a Christian? And the old man says, son, no, I'm not Christian. Christian lives down the road. (laughs) My name is Jones. And the preacher said, oh, no, you don't understand. He said, "Uh, are you lost? And the old man said, lost, son, I've lived here all my life. I know every nook and cranny, every rock and rill. I know exactly where I am. I'm not lost. And the young preacher said, no, sir, don't you know there's a judgment day coming? And the old man's ears perked up and he said, oh, judgment day, when's it going to be? And the young preacher said, I don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. And the old man scratched his head and he said, well, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go both days. And so I'm like both of those guys. I have no idea when Jesus come back. I think he could come back tonight. Uh, He may not come back for 2,000 years. But I do know we're a lot closer than when the writer of Hebrews wrote it. So he says, as you see the day approaching, encourage one another all the more. My friends, if you are tempted or you know someone who's tempted to give up on Christ and the church, I encourage you to never, never, never give up, never give in. Because Christ and the church are better, better, better than anything you would go back to. And it will not only make a difference now in your life, it'll make a difference for eternity as well. And maybe God will use you to change the eternal address of someone you know because you've encouraged them. You've stood by their side. You've met with them and you've provoked them to love.
and good deeds. Let, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for your encouragement. I thank you for this church and how it ministers to people that are hurting in every aspect, whether it's financially or emotionally, that they're reaching out to, to make a difference. And I just pray you bless each person that is here. Anyone that might be struggling with their faith or struggling with their relationship to the church, Father, I pray that you would touch them and speak to them and just encourage them to, to never give up, never give in to that temptation but rather to commit themselves to you and your body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.